We have an exciting passage of scripture this morning to look at. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to go to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. You know, we've seen people like this. We've all seen people like this who really think they don't need any help. Uh, people who try to do it all by themselves. The cook who runs everything in her kitchen that's to the point of not even liking Christmas for the, <laughs> she's cooking so much without help. Or the boss, you wonder why he even hired you because he wants to do your job. He won't trust you to do your, the work he's paid you to do. Or the athlete who won't pass the ball. We've all met them. The church worker, perhaps, that refuses any help but can get frustrated and even angry in ministry. We've all met them. They're one-man bands, and we have a little clip for you here of a one-man band, one of my favorite theologians. Uh, things going on there. He became a one-man band because he wanted approval. He was rejected three times in trying to be a one-man band. He got a wrong purpose come out of that. He had timidity eventually. Then he had overconfidence. And then at the end, he got some people's approval. That's sort of how the mixed response is if we try to be a one-man band as a Christian. If we try to live like we don't need anybody else, that we're not part of a team, that it's a solo sport. So what we have before us this morning is in Romans 12, beginning at verse 3, it says this, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. You know, it's no coincidence that the verse I just read follows on the heels of verses 1 and 2 that call believers to present themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service of worship. It is no accident that verse 3 and following follows that call to presentation of ourselves as a sacrifice because we have to have the right humility and the right outlook on teamwork to see that the other believers who have presented themselves to Christ as holy and acceptable offerings, we complement each other. We need each other. We more effectively serve Jesus together than we ever could apart. So, sort of like uh, opposites attract in dating and opposites attract in marriage. When Beth and I were engaged to be married, we went to a pastor in Dallas, Texas, and he did premarital counseling with us. He gave us two tests. We wrote them independently. He scored them. We came together. He said, you guys are perhaps the most opposite two individuals I'm ever going to marry. <laughs> Ooh, kind of set me back. But he went on to say, it could be this, 
sparks all the time because you're so different, or if you're both controlled by the Holy Spirit, it could be this. One of the strongest, most powerful, synergistic marriages that he would ever see. By God's grace, we've had some sparks, but by God's grace, I believe over 33 years, we've been able to align ourselves. We need each other. And everyone in the body of Christ needs the other believers. Now, this passage, Romans 12, 3 through 8, quickly does four things. See them with me. First, it warns us against, I don't need anyone pride. Second, it calls us to see that we each need each other to properly function as a local church. Third, it gives the New Testament's most comprehensive list of spiritual gifts, which are still operative today. And fourth, this passage calls us to exercise, to use our spiritual gift with faith that God will bless the usage of the gift that he has given us in the first place. So I'm going to read the whole passage, 3 through 8, Romans 12. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. I want you to see at the beginning of this teaching two wonderful realities, two very important words that are in verse 3. They are grace and faith. Grace and faith are extremely important when you come to discovering your spiritual gift and when you come to using your spiritual gift and when you come to partnering as teammates with other believers. Grace and faith. You know, Paul once had an attitude before he was saved of being pretty self-sufficient, pretty self-assured, pretty proud of his religious resume as a Pharisee. Paul had come to conclude before Christ that he had, because of his superior education, his intellect, and his zeal for the Jewish faith, it made him of little, having of little need of anybody else. Thank you very much. But listen to what Paul admits later after his conversion in Philippians 3. This is astounding. Verses 4 through 6, after conversion, Paul had a different attitude. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, here, here's his resume, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. I don't need anybody. That's what he used to think. But, verse 7, whatever things were gain, were gain to me, those I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish. You know what the Greek word means? human solid waste. 
I count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and your outlook has been, I'm pretty good. I'm gifted. I'm not sure I need anybody else. Today is a call for you to understand how wrong that outlook is. You see, Paul needed God's grace to switch from being a go-it-alone servant of God's to a servant of God yielded to Christ who gave him spiritual gifts that he needed to utilize for the upbuilding of the body and bride of Christ to the glory of the God who gave the gifts. Verse 3 again. For though through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So what we need to know, brothers and sisters, if you're saved, automatically, immediately, God gave you at least one spiritual gift at the point of your salvation. Boom. Every single person who's converted in the sound of my voice has at least one spiritual gift. There is no person in the sound of my voice who has no spiritual gift. To say this again, to borrow uh, baseball and billiards. When it comes to spiritual gifts, no one is shut out like in baseball and no one runs the table like in billiards. 1 Peter 4.10 also supplements the truth, the truth we're talking about this morning. It says this, 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a spiritual gift, as each one has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so when we take upon, up upon God's grace, when we take up upon God's faith, it results in a humility and a beautiful teamwork. And then the human body is cited as an illustration that just says there's one human body. We each have a one human body. But in that human body, for it to function and be alive, it has so many, a variety of parts that all have to work together, just like spiritual gifts in a local church. This means that I need all of you. None of you are redundant. This means that you need me. This means you need the person on the left and the right of you this morning. The church is to be like the space shuttle, all crew and no spectators. Are you eager to discover your spiritual gift if you never have done so before? This passage will give us seven spiritual gifts. You have one or more of these gifts, I guarantee it, if you're saved. Let's look at the passage, starting at verse 6. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Prophecy can be understood as a technical thing, which that gift of prophecy has ceased because technically prophecy was a spiritual gift given to the apostles, to the eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ, so that they could in an inspired manner, write the New Testament. They could prophesy. We still have the spiritual gift of prophecy in the non-technical sense of the word insofar as we can uh, tell forth the scriptures with this spiritual gift. We can, it's the supernatural ability 
to effectively and publicly speak God's word's truth, resulting in the life change of others. Do you have the spiritual gift of prophecy in the non-technical sense? Good, because this incredible body of Christ needs the non-technical sense of prophecy. Picture this to illustrate these spiritual gifts. I want you to imagine you're at a party in a private home doing a Bible study, and it's time for refreshments. And the hostess carries out a beautiful four-layer double chocolate cake to the living room where we're all seated. She wants to serve a beautiful chocolate cake. She loses balance of the tray it's on, and the whole fudgy chocolate cake falls on the white carpet and just explodes. If you have the spiritual gift of non-technical prophecy, you share, for instance, Proverbs 14, 15 with her as she's crying. The naive believes everything, but the prudent man considers his steps <laughs> in the hopes that everyone will not step and misstep and dump their chocolate cake on their carpet at home. The second gift in our passage is service, verse 6. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving. The person who has the spiritual gift of serving has the supernatural ability to practically help others in a variety of ways and in a variety of situations. Do you have the spiritual gift of serving? Good. This incredible body of Christ needs the spiritual gift of serving. My wife happens to have the spiritual gift of serving. Beth would much rather be in the background helping other people succeed in ministry. Unseen, when she sings, it's kind of, she has to come outside of her spiritual gift to do that. She's glad to do it. But her spiritual gift is serving, and maybe so is yours. The person with the spiritual gift of serving, you can imagine what they do when the chocolate cake explodes on the white carpet. They run straight to the kitchen and get all the cleaning products they can find under the sink, and they start cleaning up the chocolate. The third spiritual gift in this passage is teaching. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, watch this, or he who teaches in his teaching. Uh, teaching is the supernatural ability to interpret and to clarify and to catalog and to illustrate and to explain the scriptures. This happens to be the spiritual gift that God gave to me the moment I was saved. I'm never happier than when there's a Bible between me and someone else and they're wanting to learn what it means and the difference it makes in their life. That's because I have the spiritual gift of teaching. Do you have the spiritual gift of teaching? Excellent. The incredible body of Christ here really needs the spiritual gift of teaching. The next spiritual gift in the list is exhorting. 6, verse 6 and following. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. What is the spiritual gift of exhorting? Exhorting is the supernatural ability to effectively call others to obedience to the Lord. The supernatural ability to effectively call someone else to obedience to the Lord. 
This gift is a very focused gift, and it's focused on everyone yielding to God's will. The person with this gift is burdened if there's one person in the gathering here this morning that's disobedient to God's will. The spiritual gift of exhorting. Exhorting can take place from a pulpit, but exhorting can take place at Starbucks with a coffee, each hand of two persons, one to one. Do you have the spiritual gift of exhorting? If you do, I'm glad because the incredible body of Christ here needs the spiritual gift of exhorting. The person in our chocolate cake illustration with the gift of exhorting is prompted to urge everyone in the Bible study group to show their love for Jesus by showing their love for the hostess by getting involved in the cleanup. Next is a spiritual gift of giving, starting at verse 6 once again. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. The believer who has the spiritual gift of giving has the supernatural ability to sacrificially share his assets or her assets, time and energy with others in need. I've noticed over the 30 years I've been a teacher of the Bible that believers who have the spiritual gift of giving really find it important that they financially give of their, or their time or their efforts anonymously. These persons do not want to be recognized in their giving. And these persons who have the spiritual gift of giving want to do it to motivate the rest of the believers in an assembly to give. That's the person with the spiritual gift of giving. The first church I pastored was in a town of 4,800 people in southwestern Ontario. And this was back when Campus Crusade for Christ had a Jesus video initiative to try to reach the globe with a VHS video based on the Gospel of Mark telling the story of Jesus visually. It was a great idea. A person in the assembly that was, I was pastoring, Keenan, he said, Pastor, we need to put one of these VHS videos in every home in St. Mary's. I said, that'd be great. <laughs> we don't have the money to do that. I think it'd be great to put a VHS Jesus video in every home. I'd love, I'm all for it. We have no money. He went away, came back with cash. He said, this is enough cash to buy 3,000 Jesus video tapes on the one condition you do not tell anyone that I gave the money. He had the spiritual gift of giving. Behind the scenes, anonymously, without fanfare or credit, he gave $3,000 to buy these videos so that the town he lived in would hear and see about Jesus. Spiritual gift of giving. Do you have that gift? Excellent. The body of Christ really needs that spiritual gift of giving. So you may be thinking, okay, pastor, you say there are people here in our assembly that have spiritual gift of giving. I guess I don't have to give financially to the church. Thank you. These guys are right on their game. Thank you. Because we've seen in other teachings in the New Testament on giving that 
Financial giving to the Lord is everybody's privilege and everybody's responsibility. So the spiritual gift of giving doesn't excuse the other believers who do not have that gift from giving. It just says there's some people God has strategically placed in an assembly who anonymously are going to give generously with the view to helping us be encouraged to give generously. We need persons in our assembly with the spiritual gift of giving. Second to last gift in the list, leading. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence. The spiritual gift of leading is the supernatural ability to administrate people, programs, and monies in God honoring ways. The supernatural ability to administrate people, programs, and monies in God-honoring ways. Do you have the spiritual gift of leading? Do you see waste and inefficiency in the body of Christ? And do you want to do something about fixing it? Good, because we need the spiritual gift of leading in the incredible body of Christ. In the chocolate cake (laughs) illustration, Uh, when the chocolate cake turned into a basketball on the white carpet, the person with the spiritual gift of leading notices the most efficient and also the least efficient way to get the thing cleaned up so that the people can get back to studying the Bible again. The seventh and the last spiritual gift. Remember, you have one of these gifts if you're saved. You have at least one of these gifts. The last gift in the passage is showing mercy, showing mercy. Verse 6, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in serving, his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness." The person with the spiritual gift of showing mercy has the supernatural ability to sympathize, to empathize, to listen to, and to share in in order to relieve the pain and suffering of somebody else. Is that you? The incredible body of Christ really needs the spiritual gift of showing mercy. The person with the spiritual gift of showing mercy sees more than the cake that's all over the floor. That Christian with this gift shows mercy and sees and cares about the embarrassed and the anxious hostess who's retired to her bedroom and is weeping. The Christian with the spiritual gift of showing mercy goes to her bedroom, sits on the bed, says, I'm so sorry this happened. You must feel terrible. It's going to be okay. They're outside right now cleaning it up. And whereas the person with the spiritual gift of giving may have gone to his vehicle and wrote a check to replace all the white carpet in the house, which would be very nice, the person with the gift of showing mercy goes to the lady in tenderness and encouragement, empathy and compassion, and listens to try to help her get over the embarrassment 
These are the spiritual gifts of the passage. You have one of these spiritual gifts if you know Christ as Savior. Prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. How do you find these gifts? Say, okay, pastor, I understand the gifts. You've explained it. Uh, I, I understand that you say the Holy Spirit has given me at least one of these gifts. And how do I know what it is? I'm here this morning, and I, I don't know what it is. How do I know what the spiritual gift is that I have from God for his glory and use in the assembly? Well, first of all, let me begin with a philosophical question. Three gifts, three different sizes. This gift is handed to you quite incredibly from one of your enemies. Someone that you know thinks you to be his enemy gives you this gift. This gift is given to you, on the other hand, by one of your closest friends. Maybe your best friend gives you this nice lime green gift. But God gives you this gift. It's the smallest. Which present would you be wise to open? Big one? The medium one? Smallest one? Which gift would you be remiss? Which gift would you have most regret over if you didn't open? The one from your enemy? The one from your best friend? Or the one from God? We all know the answer. This is the most important gift. Even though it's the smallest, this is the most important gift. Well, let me just say that in this gift from God, the beginning point of God's gifting to any person is salvation. Do you know Christ as Savior? I'm not asking, are you religious? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? That is the best gift the gift you can't afford to check out of earth by death, failing to have opened. You trust him to be your savior by saying, I'm a sinner. I can't be good enough. Jesus died to pay for my sins. He was raised from the dead to show my sins are paid for. I trust him and only him to make me right with you, God. If you've never made that your prayer, I call you to open that gift from God. Because if you open any other gift on earth and fail to open that gift, you've missed it and you don't make heaven. But inside this wonderful, small, but perfect gift box to you from God is salvation from sin, but also spiritual gift. And the moment that you were saved, God gave you at least one of the spiritual gifts I've been teaching you about. You say, okay, pastor, I get it. You're saying that all that glitters is not gold. You say that um, you can't base the decision to open the gift based on human relationships. I get it. You're saying that God wants to gift me with salvation. I've received salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And now you're saying, Pastor, that in this box that I should open is a spiritual gift from God. That's exactly what I'm saying. Some of us know what the spiritual gift is because we've opened it and we're using it. Bravo. Others of us, this is all new to. Here's the deal. If you do not know the spiritual gift that's in this box for you, one of the seven gifts that was in the passage of this morning, this is how you discover it. It's, it's, so, it's so easy, it's difficult, to, uh, maybe. You just start getting involved in a church. You start volunteering in some ministry, 
one ministry at a time, and you figure out what spiritual gift is required to teach in the nursery with the littlest children. Well, I would think it would be um, showing mercy. So you go to the nursery, and you help the persons that are in the nursery, and guess what? Five minutes in the nursery seems like an hour, to be real honest with you. Five minutes serving in the nursery seems like an hour. That means it requires a spiritual gift that you don't have. That's not a failure. That's an insight. But let's say you go to the nursery, and an hour seems like five minutes. You just discovered your spiritual gift. It's showing mercy to little children. You discover your spiritual gift by trying things, volunteering, one ministry at a time, figure out what each ministry requires as a spiritual gift, and then find out if five minutes is like an hour or an hour is like five minutes. And if you don't know what to volunteer for, just speak to me or any of the other pastors and we'll give you some suggestions. That's how we open the gift and discover our spiritual gift. This is an exciting passage. It's very, very practical. Would you stand with me? I have enjoyed worshiping you in a contemporary style again this morning. And I'm so glad that you've made this the choice for your morning. And if you found this to be a blessing and an encouragement and a help to your Christian life, I really ask you to invite some of your friends or family to come and check it out. We're going to dismiss very shortly. But as we're standing, I wonder if you could do some business with God or God could do some business with you. Do you know Christ as Savior? Threat has been detected. I didn't ask you if your wife does. I didn't ask you if your husband does. Do you? Trust him. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of him as a Savior and trust him. Trust him like this. Lord, I can't make myself good enough and I know that my sin separates me from you. But thank you for loving me and showing me that you love me by sending Jesus to die in my place, to shed his blood. Thank you the grave couldn't hold Christ, Father, because you raised him to prove that all of my sins can be paid for in full. Here and now, I transfer my trust to Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. If that's your prayer, Beth and I will be at the front after we dismiss. Just come and tell us you trusted Christ for the first time. We'd be delighted to pray with you briefly. Others of us are standing, and we know we're saved. We know we've trusted Jesus alone to be our Savior. The business that the God wants to do with us is the question of, have I discovered my spiritual gift? And if I haven't, will I volunteer in ministries to do so? Or if I have discovered my spiritual gift, am I using it? Or is it in dry dock? Is it in mothballs? Could you have gotten to the place of your chronological age that you say, I'm an old man now, I'm an old woman now. I don't know that I should use my spiritual gift. I'll leave that to the younger people in the assembly. You need to repent of that attitude if that's been your attitude. We all need each other. We all have been gifted. There's a work to do. 
NASA is a very spiritually dark and needy place. People say they know Christ, and they live like they belong to Satan. Some persons have made the gospel about money and not about sin and salvation. NASA is a very desperately needy place. And it's time that we stop shaking our fingers at sinful people and take the gospel to them. To earn a hearing with them by being kind to them and loving to them. Maybe that's the takeaway for us today. Lord, thank you for these precious people. Thank you that you have a will and a way for each of their lives. I pray you encourage them and help them. Help the man in the pulpit to obey the truth that he preached. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please remain standing.